0: At a team level, though, it's creating the conditions for the team to engage in the right conversation that they're probably not having.
1: You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Tom Peters. Management is about ranging and telling. Leadership is about nurturing and enhancing. My guest today, Susan Drum, helps leaders get the most from their organizations. She's a CEO, advisor, leadership coach, and founder of Meritage Leadership. She has over 20 years of experience coaching top leadership and has worked with organizations such as KPMG, Oracle, Viacom, and Microsoft. She's also the host of the Enlightened Executive Podcast, a top-rated global speaker, and an expert in the Enneagram-type indicator, which we will definitely talk about for sure. Uh, Susan, welcome. Great to have you on the Elevate Podcast.
0: Great. Great to be here with you. Thanks so much. All
1: right. So I, I always start at the beginning. So what did Susan look like uh, in, in uh, let's say, early teenage years?
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> We're going back to the we're late going back.
1: middle school. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we're talking about um, permed hair and big poofy sleeves.
1: Oh, well, that was par for the course. And what? Yeah. So, what? What kind of kid were you?
0: Uh, well, my mother. It's interesting. My mother said I was very flighty. <laughs> what she meant was like I had a, so many different interests, and yeah. she actually even said, which is kind of funny because I I went on to you know some great education, uh, but that she was worried I'd never amount to anything because I was so flighty and I couldn't focus on one thing.
1: Yeah. Those are not, not uplifting things, but I've heard a lot of that said. So how did you, what did you go to school for? What did you study? Um, What got you interested?
0: Yeah. So I went to um, an undergrad. I went to Carnegie Mellon and studied business and then I went to Harvard law school and not so um, flighty. Not so flighty, right? Um, so when I focus, I can really focus. And, but part of it is finding what, what my interest is, what lights me up. And even after that, it took me a number of years in my career to really land what that was. And it's you know leadership development. But um, I went to law school and didn't end up practicing law.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask you, so what did, what did you do after law school?
0: Well, I remember when I was in law school, I, you know, you you split your summers or I split my summers, meaning I worked for two different law firms each summer that you have to try things out. And I kept trying different types of law. And I was like, oh, my God, I I don't want to do this. What am I going to do? Yeah. Now I have all this loan debt. And I need to get the job at the big law firm, but I don't want to do the job at the big law firm. And that's when I started taking- This is the
1: essence of the struggle of law school these days, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I started taking classes at um, Harvard Business School that I could transfer over since I had a business undergrad degree. And I got interested in consulting and decided to apply for um, one of the management consulting firms. So McKinsey, BCG and i still took the bar in new york and yeah. passed in case i needed to go that route but i jumped ship right out of graduation and and went and did uh strategy consulting at bcg
1: uh awesome yeah i had a bunch of friends that worked there it's a it's a great learning experience um to just dive in and figure out markets and companies and otherwise it's a great education
0: yes yes um it was it was really helpful in the sense that it allowed me to quickly learn different markets and learn how to assess without having years and years and years of experience. And that, I would say, formed the baseline for the consulting work I do now because often I have to get up to speed on the strategy of something so that I can design a program that will help advance the strategy.
1: And so what was the transition into uh, leadership consulting?
0: Oh well, there were a couple more twists and turns before I got there.
1: This keeps getting. You know, each chapter gets more interesting, so I, I shouldn't have cut you off. Keep going. It,
0: no, it, it's it's actually. And then you I,
1: bought a restaurant, and we're a head chef. Yeah, and, exactly.
0: Yeah. And then, well, well, kind of <laughs> in a way. So I, um, each step of the process though, gave me a little piece of what I do today. Yeah. So law is really focused on making distinction, like the, honing the skill of making distinctions, and yeah. the use case for that is making distinctions for case law. where I use that same skill to help make distinctions in mindset, right, and how people think. But it's still about listening for assumptions and beliefs and and different arguments. BCG taught me the strategy piece and how to meld leadership development with strategy. And from there, I went to NBC, which was owned by GE at the time, and I had the interesting position as Black Belt or Master Black Belt in Six Sigma, Mm. But what that taught me was how you could actually measure and use data for things that seemed unmeasurable at the time. And a lot of it was doing analysis around Nielsen data and how um, I worked for the marketing and sales organization. But I use that now because it's how do we put data against some of things that people feel, but they yeah. can't actually articulate, you know, team effectiveness and EQ and leadership styles, all of those. So there's a big push of using data in what I do today. But the real twist happened after all that. I moved to London and got a master's in
1: acting. That's not that far from a restaurant.
0: Yeah. And I think people probably thought I was crazy at the time. And I was kind of crazy at the time in the sense that I was just fed up. Like I had I'd worked you know, in a sort of big company culture then. And it just felt so just life-sucking in a way, you know, Um, dealing with the political challenges, dealing with it wasn't really about the work and it didn't feel like a meritocracy. And so I decided to pursue something I'd always wanted to do. And I didn't even know, it was almost like I was going to take a little bit of a break. I just needed something that would be out of the box. And I didn't know how I would use it. When I did it, but it's actually critical to what I do today because it was during acting training that I learned so much about the inner critic and that voice inside your head and how to be more present and authentic with people. And because you got to manage that as an actor, I mean, you can't be in front of the audience and connect to your fellow actor and play the role. If the internal critic is going, Oh my God, that guy's texting while I'm doing this part. Right. And then really how to be authentic with what you're feeling and how to have that come across and obviously training on stage, of course, to help. So I kept thinking there's gotta be a way I could use this in business because I think some of the leaders that I've been working with in my prior experiences could use acting training, yeah. but a way to use it in a different way. And that's how I fell into leadership development. Because after going through that, I got went back into consulting and worked for a boutique leadership development consulting firm for a couple years, and kind of learned the ropes there.
1: So now you work with the team or just the CEO or both?
0: Both. Both. Yeah.
1: And, And is it a specific size or range of company or it's kind of across the board?
0: It's a little across the board, although usually it's either, uh, I work a lot with private equity firms who will put me uh, working with their portfolio companies that are in rapid scale.
1: I was going to say, they have you assess the team before they invest or after they invest?
0: <laughs> a lot of times I'm brought in a little bit before, but a lot yeah. of times I'm I'm brought into, like maybe they brought in a new CEO and the CEO needs to gel quickly with the leadership team. Yeah. And so some of the programs that we have, including, you know, using leadership styles through the Enneagram helps them get a handle on that and helps the team overcome whatever challenge might be in the way. So a lot of it is team effectiveness. Others are larger organizations where um, they're doing senior leadership development. So partners at a a big four accounting firm or consulting firm. And those are more cohort-based programs of leadership development, looking at what needs to shift in the senior leadership so that all the way down through the organization, they also see cultural shifts.
1: And what what is it that you see either if you're doing an assessment for a private equity firm or you're parachuted in to help with a new leadership team where you're like this ain't going to (laughs) work. Like problems at the top. Like I'm always like, what's, I mean, you must have a pretty good sense. Like a lot of people I know who do coaching or coach teams or do offsites or whatever, say like they come to the first meeting and they can tell the three executives that won't be there in six months. Like it's, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, if I had to boil it down really simply, part of it is uh, from a leadership perspective, are they do they have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? Yeah. And the ones that are hungry for feedback and data and want to make shifts are the ones that grow. And the ones that are like, I just need to focus on, I don't have time for this, or this is extra, or I need to focus on my marketing plan um, and not how I'm showing up as a leader. Those are the ones that are ultimately going to struggle because how you're showing up and leading your team will determine your effectiveness.
1: Yeah. I've always said in our experience, I've seen three types of leaders. Ones who are like, look, I I don't, I don't want feedback and, and uh, you know, they're just close are not going to do anything with it. You sort of know what to do with them. Then they're the ones who like, I I want it and they'll act on it. Um, And those are on the other side. The tricky ones for me are the ones who like they want it and they ask for it. And then they keep, making the same mistakes over and over again. You just, you're in the same review nine months later in the same conversation. I'm not I'm not sure that that's actually not worse <laughs> uh, because it's like, I think they say that they want to hear it, but they're really not internalizing. It's almost like going through the motions.
0: Yeah, I, I think to work with those types, and part of it is looking at, you know, when I say I do some deeper work with mindset, each mindset has a price and a payoff. Yeah, And so through feedback, they get clear on the mindsets that aren't working, the price that they're paying, but they're not always cognizant. You must be getting up. If you keep doing it, you must be getting a payoff. And what is that payoff? It's interesting. You know, and can you actually bring that to consciousness to understand what you're getting from it and make a willingness to, to shift it?
1: So they're not clear about the payoff, but they're also probably not clear about the cost of repeating it.
0: Not totally clear, right? <laughs> Downplaying the cost. Yeah and getting a payoff that um, that somehow ultimately feeds ego, identity, and self-image. So often I see that there's like some healing, that there's some... What I see often is like there's childhood wounds being played out in the workplace all the time.
1: 450%. Like I... I... You know, I developed this course uh, that we started with our leaders on develop, on understanding and articulate their personal core values. Because I think similar to this Enneagram and all these things, the leader, like you're not going to be authentic leader if you can't tap into what do I value? And most people like know it, but can't articulate it. But I think actually mm-hmm. putting words to it. And, and when we get into those discussions, it is almost always some childhood thing like and i and i try to say like i'm not trying to get into psychology but like yeah. when someone has a real trust issue it's like look does that come from somewhere personal for you like did you have a trust violation in your child and and you know they'll look at me like yeah and i mean I, I there was an example 2 weeks ago where someone really identified you know they identified a real connection in their search for truth and data and why that connected to a certain childhood experience so yeah i mean these things run deep <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. And so there's 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 got to be a little bit of work around healing that and yeah. looking for what is the more meaningful mission that you're going to get on yeah. that, as opposed to trying to keep feeding that wound.
1: Well, I've, I've talked to Tasha Yurik before. You know, She focuses a lot on self-awareness, and I, I know you focus on emotional intelligence. And I, I think her stat is like 85% of people think they're self-aware and like 15% actually are, which is just really funny in itself so what what in your experience and you work with a lot of leaders on emotional intelligence what what's the most common mistake when they make when evaluating their own emotional intelligence
0: well I think we were talking a little earlier I think using uh, accurate assessments that yeah. uh, there's a lot of emotional intelligent assessments out there uh, EQ assessments that are just self-reported you're reporting back are you? Do you have a uh, high EQ? Yes, I do. Okay, yes, you do. Like literally, I'm not kidding. And when they're self-reported that way,
1: I got to get in the business of licensing those assessments. It sounds, <laughs> pretty, pretty <laughs>
0: um, but if you really look at it, like from that standpoint, it's not so effective. I I like to use ones that are using a little bit more a AI artificial intelligence yeah. piece where it's a re, you know it's a simulated scenario. But what are you picking up? in terms of how that person, the other person is what they may be thinking, feeling, and wanting. And after watching whatever issue they brought to you, what are you thinking, feeling, and wanting? Because real emotional intelligence as well is about what's what's our internal experience in relationship with another person while under conflict or stress? Yeah. What are the filters we're using there? And that's The type of data that I think is far more powerful for a leader to have the aha moment about what's going on versus just...
1: Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The Pay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you wanna learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. I've tried Babbel. It's fun, it's interactive, and in just a few minutes a day, I could see that it was making a difference and helping my comprehension and retention. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com elevate. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash elevate, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash elevate. Rules and restrictions may apply. So what did you see last year? I, I, stress, I would say, brings out the worst in, I, if it's an 80-20 split, maybe the worst leadership in 80% of the people and the best in 20% of the people that I've seen because I, I think until you've seen someone under duress. So you saw a lot of people under duress Last year? Like what, and if it was March and April, like it was real, like what, what did you see in terms of how that impacted their, their leadership? And like, did people rise or did they, a lot of them, some of their worst tendencies, you know, came, came up to the surface?
0: Yeah, it was kind of either side. It's almost yeah. like the the middle was taken out and you either got worse. Right, it's a
1: centrifuge. When you put pressure yeah. on yeah. people, they either, you know, they go to the outside or they, they come to the they stick to the middle, right?
0: Yes, yes. And the ones that I think did really well pushed or leaned into relationship. Yeah. Because people will remember how you showed up during the crisis during the bad times. So the ones that really increased communication, increased town hall usage, uh, firm I worked with did an excellent job at this where you know, they used to maybe do town halls once a month. every week, they were yeah. doing some work. and they were also getting a lot more personal with what they were sharing about challenges, and they built a caring connection in a way, and we just did a reassessment and we can see the relationship and the trust that was built over the past year was actually extraordinary. And in a way, what they said, I swear to God, they just said, COVID was our best friend in the sense of we've really improved the culture because of it. Now that's a, that's a shining example right there of what could have been possible.
1: Right. I think look, COVID was like, for me, was like, do you want to be in the foxhole with these people test? Right. So You look around your management team and leadership, and and you're like, okay, this is going to suck. Like, do I want to do this with people, or do I not want to do this with people, right? And that that becomes a very bright line that I think you can be clear about.
0: Yeah, and why should I care? Like, at the end of the day, what's what's meaningful here? Right. And until you, as a leader, can also show your vulnerability around that, and really what you stand for outside of yourself, again, outside of identity, ego, and self-image, why should anybody else care? You know, other than a paycheck, but if that's all they're sticking around for, I can tell you that's not going to last long
1: yeah, i, I we, we don't do the counter offer thing, and I, I've always said look if someone if someone just wants the best offer, they're going to take the best offer uh, four months later when someone offers it to them. like it's got to be something else that keeps them and and frankly, those people are are trying to fill, I think sometimes some not Not a void, but for them, somehow that has become purpose or meaning or validation. And if they could if they could get in touch with that, they'd probably be happier, you know, realizing it's not the five thousand dollars. it's what it's what yeah. that represents,
0: yes, yes, for sure. And so it you know, the leaders that I, that's what I said, like really leaned into relationship. The other leaders that were worried about, are you being productive? And I'm afraid they're, you know, pulling yeah. around and the kind of more parental, um, yeah. you know, or even patriarchal mindset like that repelled the people in that crisis. That's what I saw anyway.
1: Well, but what about, I keep coming back a lot to the Steve jobs quote recently. It's my new favorite quote. If, if you want to make everyone happy, sell ice cream, don't be a leader. Um, if you've seen this one, uh, So there were a lot of difficult decisions that had to be made and you can make them with grace and empathy. But again, in terms of the leadership other under pressure, like, what did you see in terms of that in terms of ability to just make difficult decisions where the absence of making a decision caused more problem and not worrying about that it's going to make everyone happy. Cause I think that is a, that is a trap. Um, You know, we've, we've seen it a little bit. We have a very feedback oriented culture. And as we got to almost 200 people, there was just a lot of signal and noise and, and we had to start to say, look, if two people out of 200 don't like something mm-hmm. that's kind of like, it is what it is. <laughs> if if 20 out of 200, then we kind of have to take a look at it. But sometimes what the two voices were just adamant about and upset about is exactly the thing that the other 198 really like. So it's hard to tune it out, but to say, look, this, just isn't going to change in this case. And I know it doesn't make you happy, but it makes the rest of the people happy and at some point you're kind of playing a, a numbers game.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think as a leader you have to be decisive. Uh, you know, leading by consensus is, as yeah. as you scale is going to be completely inefficient and ineffective. I think what I see needs to happen at times is people As you get bigger, you lose connection to, let's say, the the most junior employees, and sometimes those employees have great data and information to share with you. So how are you soliciting input? And I think if people, if you do it in the right way and you're you're at least gathering input on the most important topics, let's say, where you need to get buy-in on the rest of the group and you make a decision and go the different direction at least when people feel heard the worst is when i feel like people don't feel heard at all and the decision is made in a vacuum and it didn't take into consideration some of the data that the frontline workers had that's where i think you can run into trouble so i think it's it's more about what are ways in which you're gathering feedback from the most junior ranks of your team and leveraging that in your decision making but making the decision nonetheless
1: so given your renaissance background that we talked about before, what is sort of your personal approach to coaching effective leaders? Like I'm assuming you have a little bit of a different system than most people.
0: Um, I would say using a similar to what I mentioned before, it, you know, at a high level, it's around helping them understand the mindset that may be driving them. But part of it is, of course, as you said, building first self-awareness. So a couple different assessment tools I like to use depending on, What is initially showing up, and um, the enneagram being one of them, uh, looking at where the blind spots are in their leadership, gathering, including that with some three hundred and sixty data from those around them, and then looking at, okay, here's the data set. The data is out there. What do you want to do? What do you want to work on? And what could be potentially getting in your way? That's on kind of an individual level at a team level though it's creating the conditions for the team to engage in the right conversation that they're probably not having to elevate how they're getting work done you know a lot of times the team is working on the And left. the
1: conversations they're not having is that is that they know they yes. need to have them or they don't know they're not focusing on the right like they're avoiding them or just they're they're not talking about the right things at the right level
0: that both okay. Both is are, <laughs> can be present. And when I say things at the right level, like, you know, when you're, you're doing some team development work, you're taking time out from gameplay to go into the stands and or watch the tape, the review tapes, and look at how are we playing and what is working about that and what is not. And taking that time out to step back and creating a way to have that dialogue is really the type of work that we do.
1: And I know you do. You do a lot of work with the Enneagram. I, you know, we've I, I've done all kinds of different ones, and I think that they all have different approaches. When you, but when you really get into some of these assessments from a team dynamic, like if if you did a battery of these on on a husband wife or a couple, like I, you can tell why people fight. Like you could be like, here, <laughs> it's very clear that like these issues are are just coming at it from different ways, philosophies. Otherwise, I, I I've, we've learned that these things are essential. In team dynamics, what what is it about Enneagram for you that's sort of different from uh, DISC and Colby and Strength Finders yeah. and all all the other ones that are out there?
0: Absolutely, because I've worked with with so many of them, and for me, the Enneagram is much deeper and it points to direction of growth. It's particularly effective in team settings. Um, so I'll describe all of those. So for one, and can a you lot also, of, the, do
1: you know where it came from? Like, do you know the origin of well, it? That's
0: the other thing. No one owns the Enneagram. You no,
1: know, I know. Cause there's all these different versions of it. So I was wondering like what it was based off of. Cause clearly yeah. it's not, there's yeah. not
0: different versions of the model. There's only different, like slight variations of the names of the type
1: and, and it's different assessments and stuff, right? There's different
0: assessments. Yes. And I can also talk about what makes the Enneagram challenging, but yeah. but what makes it unique is we're getting to the level of motivation, not behavior. So other assessments tell you what you do. The Enneagram answers a different question, which is why would you do that? And when you get to that level of motivation or driver, that's what opens up Creating the development path for you. And the interesting thing is, and why it's such an effective team tool is because the development path for you is outlined by the model, something called your wing styles and the arrow lines. And those are the numbers on either side of you and the numbers that are it, where there's an arrow pointing towards or away from you. So there's something that, like for me, I'm a type seven, there's an arrow pointing towards type one. Um, there's something I have to learn from the type one and there's something the type one has to learn from me. And yet that's probably the person I'm going to have the most conflict with. <laughs> and so we use this tool to be able to create a flip conflict on its head in a way that people now appreciate the different perspectives that people are bringing and why they're bringing them. You know, we think we're chameleons and can see 360 degrees, yeah. but we actually have A certain peripheral vision, and where we point our focus of attention, that's what we see. We can't see what's behind our head, but in the enneagram model, someone else is looking that direction. And so, one of the first things people say is like, "Wow, I thought everyone was motivated by this or thought like this, and now I realize that they're not." But even more, I understand how you can be my ally. You who have been getting under my skin and triggering me, how you can be actually my ally? Because the best teams are cognitively diverse teams. And that's what, that's what I'm saying. I use this tool to promote cognitive diversity.
1: Right. This is why people never recommend to use these things for hiring, right? Yes. Yeah. No, really more to say, okay, here's our diverse team. Now, how do we, we benefit from this diversity? But then also, you know, how, what, where are we going to run into conflict from it?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: I've actually found that if you don't have an interview process even if you didn't give the assessments if you don't have an interview process that has that is rigid and that sort of tries to knock out bias and has multiple people looking in on it people hire people like they're same types just like, <laughs> like yeah, without sure. they don't even know it before they've even taken the test it just they're like oh that person's like me it resonates with me mm-hmm. when actually the person they might need is the is the opposite
0: yes yes and you know the other thing that makes enneagram kind of interesting is I think the archetypes are easily remembered for team discussion. Like when I've worked with Myers-Briggs, which I think is great for understanding the individual. People
1: can never remember that order. Like the,
0: you're an ISTP yeah. and what does that mean? How do I relate to you? And. Disc
1: is good in that realm and that people really yeah. remember clearly where, where it was. Uh, there are a lot of them. So you said you're type seven, right? Yes. So what is the archetype on that?
0: That's the enthusiastic visionary. Okay. As you can see, I'm getting very enthusiastic about talking about it. here.
1: And what does the enthusiastic visionary not do well?
0: Um, take in too much negative data, meaning we tend to look at what could go right. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, and particularly f- like in, in a personal relationship, you know, I'll see some of the good and not necessarily see some of the bad till it comes to bite me in the butt.
1: So you overly trust people?
0: Yes, Ken. All yeah. right. So
1: you said there's an arrow to the one. So how does the one, what's the one?
0: So the one is the strict perfectionist. Okay. And the difference between is the one kind of has the, there's one right way to do things yeah. and I'm going to teach you how to do that. Right. And very pro- like, you know, I have to, I must get it right. They're motivated by doing the right thing the type seven sees multiple perspectives, multiple ideas, and there's never one right way to do things and doesn't necessarily, they're motivated by fun, freedom, and flexibility and options. So doesn't want to be boxed into one particular way. And so there can be trigger between the two, where the seven's out there brainstorming different options we can take. And the one is like, you're not following protocol and we need to go this Yeah, we,
1: We've used a why framework that's very similar to this. And I can see that this is sort of the better way person and the right way person, which is actually what my wife and I are, um, which can get ugly. So sorry, I, I, I can see how this movie plays out. So you have new idea, throw it out there. We're going to climb the client, figure out how to do it. They are like you are a reckless, irresponsible person. Like you cannot bring them along to this because it's not baked and zoned. But but that person also keeps you out of trouble by yeah. thinking through the details and otherwise. And yeah, I, I can absolutely. See.
0: And there's more than just that. There's you know seven really values fun and type one would be like I, I don't understand how that
1: fun is doing it. the process correctly. Right. <laughs> right. Hi everyone. If you're not a subscriber to harvard business review you're missing out on a wealth of leadership content widely acknowledged as the leader in business leadership information harvard business review provides information tools and practical advice on leadership management and strategy through the hbr.org website their print publication and their incredible podcasts premium subscribers can also access a selection of harvard business school real world case studies and scenarios that provide business leaders with the learnings from how business leaders manage their business, their team, and themselves. When I need a source or data that I can trust for one of my articles, HBR is my go-to. Just this week, I referenced one of their articles about the efficacy of required diversity training, which had the most data behind it by far. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free, after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at just $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code elevate right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code elevate to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business with everyone fighting for attention these days. How can you get your business to stand out and connect with customers? It's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media postings, and even event management. You'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing that your emails are actually reaching your customers, thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Constant Contact was actually the first email marketing platform I ever used almost 20 years ago, and it's a testament to the product's quality that it's still the standard for email marketing today. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com. Just go to constantcontact.com right now, Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall, constantcontact.com. So what's another like pairing that has that same sort of dynamic?
0: Um, well, any of the arrow lines that, and each each type has two going from right. them. Um, the, the other distinction, uh, there's, there's a common one. I just facilitated a meeting yesterday that uh, was really looking at the dynamic between um, type 2 and type 8.
1: So 2 is the helper. The right? helper,
0: right? Consider it helper or strategic supporter. And type 8 is the challenger.
1: What could go wrong there?
0: Well, right. the challenger is really uh, bold, direct, um, loves a debate, wants to get into it. and um, if there's a leadership gap, we'll step in and fill it right away. and it's kind of like we're gonna go charge and take that hill, right. And, and so they' they can be impatient and you know, can basically want to move ahead before people are really aligned. Type two is going to, is very empathetic and can almost feel people's feelings as if they are their own and kind of sees the brashness of an eight as just an affront to team effectiveness. And also won't be as direct though, which drives the eight crazy because the two is kind of beating around the bush and doesn't want to give the direct feedback. So you can see where that pairing, but they each have something to learn from each other and the best teams have both.
1: Does the two need the eight more than anything? Like, is that sort of what they need the most? Uh, obviously, it's these are the things like you know the difference in the what what you love about someone off five you know percent is what you can't stand about them. So in some yeah. ways, like is that actually the balance that they need the most?
0: Well, that's what we do in the in the debrief is we look at the four different places that you can grow. And have you, we share what will be easiest to grow in where you potentially should grow. But I also look for where's the motivation to grow. And generally, I have them pick either one of the airlines or one of the wing styles to um, say, yeah, yeah, I really see I could do the work in this area. This is what's up for me next.
1: And it's about toning down. Uh, this is always the sort of strength versus weakness kind of thing. Is it about is about just acknowledging and understanding the the limitations of what you're what you're good at or where it becomes problematic versus really trying to do that in a different way or I, you know I think people struggle with like plugging the weakness or or learning how to really manage around the weakness.
0: <laughs> well, I guess I would say it's about creating balance and more yeah. wholeness. So, you know, this is why like I'm not a fan of strengths finder you know, where the concept is, you just need to double down in your strengths and all will be well. Well, you know, a type eight leader could be really good at decisiveness and use too much becomes pushiness. And so I wouldn't say double down on your decisiveness. Like, (laughs) like, no, that's the problem that the rest of the organization has is like you're too pushy and you're not taking in the feedback that you need. So it is, to me, it's about balance.
1: I've said to people in different contexts though, I think it's also a little bit about playing a little bit of it's like a psychology game with yourself on the long run too so so back to that example of the enthusiast and the reformer and say look to the reformer like the organization you know really values that you keep it on time on budget moving or whatever but if you put up a fight about everything then people are not gonna you're gonna have a hard time playing that role because you're going to be seen as an obstructionist. Right. So, so actually you can accomplish the thing that is most important to you. Like I know, like in the why construct or other, like I have a ton of new ideas and it over, it can overwhelm people. Right. So I, I have actually come to the understanding that if I don't channel some of those ideas, like then none of them will ever get done. And then I won't actually get the, <laughs> I will not get the outcome that I am seeking because I will, yes. you know, I, I have to learn to like, go for the 300 batting average and pick the three out of 10 that I really want to want to fight for. Now, in the moment, I'm really passionate about all 10, but none of them will happen if I try to argue for all 10.
0: Exactly. And so the, there's the balance between seven and one. And, and yes, you might have your, your strength is the ability to see if you're seven – all the potential options, but you can't just stay there. You've got to integrate that ability to hone in and move forward and create systems and processes to to scale your one, two ideas.
1: So the Peacemaker one is interesting. I would have thought that that sort of had a line to the challenger, but it doesn't.
0: Well, it can't, that's what the arrows, but remember wing styles are the numbers on either side. So peacemaker can learn something that's type nine, can learn something from type eight, which is the challenger. So that's where you're leveraging the wing style.
1: So explain again, the difference between the line versus the wing style, the arrow versus the wing style.
0: So, um, the analogy on the wing styles is that you, a lot of times people, um, usually more in, uh sort of studied the Enneagram maybe 10 years ago would say, Oh, I'm an eight with a wing seven or something. We don't yeah. really do that so much anymore. We do something called subtype, which I, I can get into later. But with the wings, it's almost like you have two consultants in your life. One you know you you have on speed dial and one you forgot their number. <laughs> And so usually we lean. So the
1: angel devil sort of thing.
0: Well, no, it's a little (laughs) bit like I lean towards. I've into. I've learned over time because I'm now an executive to integrate one side of this, but I probably don't lean as much into the other. And so I've learned over time. Like for me as a seven, I've learned to lean into my eight, just given what I have to do. You know, often challenge and and be pretty hard charging in some of these meetings, particularly with very uh, dominant voices. So I had to learn to adapt and grow that side.
1: Yeah.
0: Some would say in Enneagram theory, the easier path of development is your wing styles, meaning the numbers, again, on either side of you. The more challenging growth path are the arrow lines.
1: Got
0: it. And also the direction in which they point. Some would even go further and say, that the arrow pointing towards you is the one you need to work on first before turning to the arrow pointing away from you. I use it more of, I look for where there's resonance and where there's energy. So I ask the people I work with, you know, I'm coaching what resonates for them.
1: What do you do when you assess a team? And they're all the same. <laughs> they're all challengers. Well, that, that would be an ugly room, I'm sure. That is
0: an ugly room. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right.
1: And that you walk in, everyone's just screaming at each other. But I, look, if they're all peacemakers, then, then you know, that sounds like a Midwestern company to me where no one, no one will say what, you know, what actually is on their mind. Um, so I, have you had this happen?
0: Yes, I mean, that's why we assess the team and then yeah. we do we, we do it. First they the first kind of workshop is learning about the other types and who's yeah. on your team and what motivates them. But the second one is really looking at what's the compilation of the team and how does that impact your decision making? Yeah, and what types of questions you ask? And who are the missing types that maybe if that person was there, there are certain questions they would naturally be asking. Yeah. So how can we, kind of force fit and ask and remember to ask those questions because none of us have that type and we wouldn't even have our sight on that.
1: Do you think a team though, that like six or seven people and six out of the seven are the same type, like can that be a functional team or is it going to be just groupthink?
0: Well, yeah, it just depends (laughs) on what you define as functional team. (laughs) Like I worked with a team once, it was a lot of twos and they got along great. (laughs) But did they actually accomplish much to meet right, their right. goals? No. I also worked with a team where it was more, usually they're not, Quite usually there's some diversity. Yeah. But there was at least three sevens on this team and one six. Now the six is the loyal skeptic or the troubleshooter.
1: <laughs> and they're all the visionaries. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You have a whole bunch of let's go forward. Yeah. Like there's all these ideas, and the other six throwing cold water on all the ideas, like that's never gonna work. Yeah. And um, you guys are like pie in the sky. The six was at like ready to quit. Yeah and it was not a good experience. And and the sevens were like, this is annoying, like where she's annoying. Right. And so the work that we did was to help them understand the, Hey, sevens, you really need the six. This is what the six offers. And they had a new appreciation for their blind spot and how the six filled that role. Likewise, the six learned, here's the way in which you can bring forth the potential troubleshooting that, that the seven can hear because the way you're doing it now is triggering them. But if you shift it in these ways, they'll value hearing it a bit more. So they both had room to grow. And that's where the magic happens.
1: So what do you think, like, what's going to be expected of leadership in the future? You know, I've seen I've seen a lot of these. And look, a lot of difficult decisions or coaching otherwise is, is where you would get on the phone and say, I have to have this discussion or whatever, and your coach would say, well, here's how it's been done for, like, that can be done through machine learning and stuff pretty good. Like, here's the podcast you should listen to. Here's the HBR article you should read, like all, all of that stuff. So a lot of the the sort of data finding or case study or best practice is going to be accessible to people, I think, on demand. How, how does that sort of change what's expected of leaders in the future, particularly from the emotional intelligence standpoint? Like, does that become the most important thing?
0: Well, I always thought there was this book, I think, called The Knowing Doing Gap. That was, you know, and so, yeah, just knowing doesn't mean you're actually going to do it, as you pointed out earlier. So I think that's where coaching really helps people understand where they're getting blocked and what they're not seeing. Yeah. Because, look, people also, even prior to AI, could read a whole bunch of leadership books. Did that mean we had better leaders? I (laughs) mean…
1: (laughs) <laughs> I meant more micro tactically, like you can get very specific, like even yeah. we've struggled in our company, like, if you've had this situation before, like, what did we do? What did we say? What was our best piece of advice? You know, kind of getting down to that level.
0: Yes. Yeah, for sure. I think it is, you know, it's fascinating. I, I on, on my um, podcast, I interviewed somebody who was um, implementing AI into leadership development and developed a, a tool that the team could look at in terms of how, how they were showing up in meetings and how collaborative they were in their dialogue and using AI to do that. Um, so almost like, you know, a coach would be observing, it could provide feedback.
1: It like scored them afterwards, yeah. yeah. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help define the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Any candidate who's looking for a job is going to be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals and many like myself use it every day, which also makes it the best place to hire. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. That's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com practical. That's LinkedIn.com/slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I was I was reading something today that said that uh it was a podcast. Um the the gentleman who wrote Sapiens it's an incredible book. Mm-hmm. And it was saying like, you know, AI will probably be able to understand you, like what mood you're in. Like because it's not biased, <laughs> you know. A lot of the time we're trying to assess other people, and we do it from our own judgment standpoint. Yes. But they were like, "Look, you might come home in ten years, and your refrigerator was like, you seem like you had a bad day.' Like, do you want this soda?" <laughs> and you'll be like, "You get me." Like, you know, because people
2: can be seen and heard in a whole new way. Right.
1: right? <laughs> but it was funny because, like, he's like, they, they don't worry about themselves. It's not, you know, they're not looking at it from their standpoint. Where a lot of what we're looking at is, it, I, I actually thought that was interesting. It was like kind of sad that your refrigerator might know you that well. But um, yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. But but think about how, you know, ultimately, isn't that what people they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want yeah. to be valued.
1: Yeah, I, I have noticed that, um, like, it's clearly like a hack, or it's an L P thing. But I've noticed all of the airline companies and customer service, new thing to do is just to repeat back whatever you said, and it really works. Like, yeah. I, I was super frustrated. <laughs> I was on this, like, three times in a row. I got this Delta flight back to Boston, 11 o'clock. It was like they weren't ready for it. The ramp wasn't there. The bags weren't coming. I wrote a note. I was like, this is ridiculous. And they're like, I, and they just repeated it back. Like, we understand that you're really frustrated that, like, three times in a row your flight comes in at 11 o'clock and no one's there to greet the plane. And I'm like, oh, they, uh, they understand. They you know? Yeah, they got it. It's, yeah. it's just such a simple but really important thing to do is just to to repeat it back and you know we've actually done some we've done some like model difficult conversations and some other stuff where people are coming in with different objectives to a meeting and and you want to also confirm back like that they heard what they heard or otherwise at the end because it's amazing like how they, they we gave each person one side of the story, like a real conversation. Like you think you need a raise and, you know, you think like you need a performance warning and they don't know the other person coming in and the whole group watched and they had the discussion. And then we asked the group, how many people do you think believe that, you know, Susan knows that her job is at risk after this whole conversation and no one raised their hand. And then you could see how all of these disconnects happen every day because the person really thought that they were making their point, but she, came in with a different perspective and they were not, they thought they both had a great conversation and this person thinks he's getting a raise and this person thinks they're leaving in 30 days. Like it it was, it's pretty amazing. So, so that sort of repetition of what you heard is really important.
0: Yeah. And I think in addition, asking what the other person is taking away, that's what, you know, how much of what you said actually went in and landed or perhaps you saw you soft pedaled it and didn't, Give the direct feedback that you needed to. Yeah.
1: What, what's the best question a, a leader can ask?
0: God, that's a good one because there's just so many. <laughs>
1: very meta. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would say I was like asking, you know, what do I not know that I don't know? Meaning what is, you know, what do you see as a potential blind spot?
1: For that person.
0: Yeah. Meaning like if I was a leader to ask like, what do you think my blind spot is?
1: And Do you think people... Well, they get an honest answer. There's a lot of things that go into that. There's
0: so much that goes into creating a safe space to do that.
1: Yeah. Look, if you get feedback and you don't just say thank you for it, even if you're totally angry, you'll never get it again. Uh, You know, we've we've seen this. We had a partner years ago. We just gave them feedback, gave them feedback. You know, they didn't take it. uh, And they told us that clients were confused and they didn't understand. Then there was a whole blow up. With a thing, and and they're like, "Why don't you give us the feedback?" We like we stopped giving you feedback when you kept telling us we were wrong.
0: That's <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. right. You're gonna defend everything, right? Yeah,
1: we like, we're, I mean, we we were just bringing stuff that clients were saying to you, like, and, and and so it is what it was.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, Susan, last question for you. What's what's a mistake that you made? And this could be it can be personal or professional, or it could be single or repeated. I find a lot are, a lot have themes that that you learn the most from.
0: Yes, well, I think it ties into my enneagram <laughs> type, which is you know underestimating maybe what's required to actually execute on a vision that I had, and I just most recently got a wake up call on that. I launched the Enlightened Executive, um, which is a, a YouTube channel and podcast, and yeah. and I the I so clear on the vision, so excited for what what we really stand for, what this is going to be, I had so much amazing energy, creating it, love doing the interviews, all of that piece. But the, the toll on my team on the marketing side of it, I underestimated. And to the point of like, I had one of my best people almost ready to quit and just did not take in quickly enough, scaling the type of resources that I was going to need and checking in with her on, okay, what do you not want to be doing here? Because I thought she was all excited about everything because I was, right?
1: (laughs) You're starting to make me suspicious that I'm a seven because I am notoriously known for saying this shouldn't take long. This should be easy. This should whatever. And and yeah, I have a bad reputation in that area.
0: Yes. As apparently I do too.
1: Well, Susan, where can people learn more about you and your work?
0: Well, sure. We have actually um, some information about um, about the Enneagram and how to use it with a team. If you just go to susandrum.com slash elevate podcast, you can get that. And it's S-U-S-A-N-D-R-U-M-M dot com slash elevate podcast.
1: All right, great. Well, Susan, uh, thanks very much uh, for stopping by today. I look forward to that assessment. I'm going to do it. I was yeah, telling Susan great. before the show, I, I did it before. It was a very light assessment. I didn't feel, it was a few questions. Great about and then she told me there's one with 172 questions. So that sounds uh, sounds more much detailed. Better. So we'll, we'll follow up on that. Um, but thanks very much for joining us today.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. I really
1: appreciate it. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Susan and her work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode or a listener in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. Hello, Elevate Podcast listeners. I wanted to let you know about my friend Darius and his amazing show, The Greatness Machine. The Greatness Machine is one of the top-ranked educational and business podcasts in the country, recently ranking top five in the entrepreneurial category on iTunes. Here's why I love Darius and The Greatness Machine. It really comes down to a few things. The Greatness Machine has amazing guests from the likes of sports icon Gabby Reese, worldwide news sensation Amanda Knox, FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss, and tiny habits expert and author B.J. Fogg, to NHL Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, and hundreds more. Darius keeps it real. I always learn something new and I have a few laughs. And he always also asks great questions and is a really entertaining and engaging host. The Greatness Machine is where you get to be a fly on the wall and listen to Darius and his amazing group of guests talk about how they got to where they are today and hear stories of people who have lived their passions to create greatness in the world, and doing so despite the odds. So if you want to be entertained while learning from some of the greatest and most accomplished people in the world, this is definitely a show for you to check out. Subscribe to The Greatness Machine today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media,